Let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. We'll be continuing verse 17 today. So, like last week, I started this really cool acronym called PACE. And uh, we got to PAW, and then I got distracted. And, uh, and I had several people come up to me and remind me, and they were like, what's the rest of it? You know? <laughs> so, uh, that happens um, as you get older. Uh, right? So uh, anyway, so I wanted to give that to you today, okay? And what I was saying is that this is what I pray every morning in my devotions to sort of start the day, you know? And it's P-A-S-E. And the P is to praise the Lord for who he is, right? It's good to just start the day praising the Lord. Second, A is to accept who I am. I'm not all that. <laughs> I am just a dust speck in the universe, but I'm a dust speck that God loves. Amen? And, and, and I'm a bondservant of Christ. And S is to surrender to the Lord, to his will, and uh, purpose for me today. And then the E is to expect his abounding grace. Amen? The Bible says that his grace is sufficient even when we are weak. I mean, how many times do we feel our weakness? We got a big final that we're going to take, or we got a, a, a conflict with somebody we have to resolve, or, or whatever, and we feel our own weakness. And, uh, and yet, his grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in our weakness. Amen? So you expect his grace. So anyway... For what it's worth, there you go, P-A-S-E, you got it now. I shouldn't have any people coming after me asking that now. <laughs> All right, Matt, that, that's not your sermon, by the way, that's just a bonus, okay? Matthew 20, verse 17, now, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem for the last time. He knows what lies before him. His entire life was lived in the shadow of the cross. And yet he never flinched. He never was dissuaded from that purpose. He knew what it would mean, but he did it for love. And yet he also sought to tell his disciples, like over and over and over again, what to expect. And that's what we see here. Verse 17, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road. This is now the third time he does this. And he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Now, it's the third time he's told them this. And any of us who have been parents, we know that one of the great frustrations as a parent is, how many times do I have to tell you to brush your teeth before you go out the door? You know, it's like, how many times? You know, it's like, we get this, right? We are people that need to be reminded 
again and again and again, right? But what's interesting to me here is that Jesus knew very clearly, verbatim, exactly what was going to happen to him. How is that? Well, he's God, yeah, absolutely. But there is a gift of knowledge, and the Lord knew. The Lord knew these things were going to happen to him, and he wanted to prepare his disciples for what they were going to go through because, well, he knew how they were going to react. They would just fly apart when he was arrested, and when he got crucified, they would be totally bummed out, and and they wouldn't, like, remember any of this. So he tells them three times to sort of anchor it in. But it seems like every time he said, I'm going to be delivered up and going to die, it's like they just wigged out. They didn't hear anything else. But understand, this is the purpose of why God tells us things before they happen. The Bible is full of prophecy. I think like a third of it or something like that is is speaking of things that are yet to come. Now, a lot of those things have already been fulfilled verbatim. But there's a lot of things that have not yet been fulfilled. And Jesus gives to us the purpose of prophecy in, uh, in John 14, 29. When he said, Now I have told you before it comes so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. That's the purpose. It's not so we sort of like try to play the guessing game of, oh, Jesus is coming this year, you know, or, or this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is going to happen, and, you know, and pretty soon we get way, way, way off the mark. I'm old enough now, it's 61 today, I'm old enough to, <laughs> I wasn't even going to say that, why did I say that? Okay. But I'm old enough to have seen so many things come down the pike of so many predictions. You know, how many of you remember Henry Kissinger? Anybody? He was the Antichrist at one point, okay? (laughs) Then it was Bill Gates and, you know, well, maybe the verdict might still be out there. I don't know. Who knows? I'm just, but the, the problem is people fall into this trap. And I think it is a trap because what happens is people make predictions and then those predictions fail and everybody says, oh, that's Bible prophecy. Nobody knows what they're talking about, right? Happens. It was never meant for that. Jesus said, I've told you these things ahead of time so that when it happens, see, what should have happened is when he was delivered over to chief priests, when they gave him over to the Romans, when he was then given over to be crucified, they should have been, oh, check, 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 check. That's just exactly what he says is going to happen. We are right on target. And let's get ready. Let's have the party, you know, the noisemakers on the third day because he's going to rise from the dead. They should have been doing that. If they would have believed what he said, they would have been doing that, but they didn't. So, Understand, the Lord, folks, has given us a very clear picture. And I do believe we are in the last days. I believe that what we have seen this past year has just accelerated this to the point that we are increasingly aware that we are in the last days. That should not cause us to panic. It should cause us to say, okay, Jesus, here we are. Let's go. What do you want, what do you want us to do right now? And be ready for your coming. And be doing those things, occupying in the field of service that you've called us to. So that when that trumpet sounds, we get to go to be with you, Jesus. And we have no regrets. 
That's what we should be doing when we look at Bible prophecy. Because that's the way the Lord does it. And he does it to strengthen our faith. Look, if we look and we see that the world is shaping up the way God said it would. He said lawlessness would abound. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. At this meeting last night, uh, Ken Gray said something I totally have agreed with and, and have felt myself. And he said, I believe that our nation is under judgment right now. I believe that too. All you got to do is just see how sin is abounding, how people have turned from God, they've turned from his word, they're doing their own thing, and, and, and they're, they're calling evil good and good evil. And Yes, and you know what happens historically? Just look at the nation of Israel when God wants to judge his people. You know what he does? He gives them over to bad leadership. It's like, is this, you don't want me, you want this? Okay, here you go. It's like, oh. But folks, this is a great opportunity for us to bring the gospel to people because they're, look, they're searching for answers and they're not going to find it in the ways of men. Okay, that's, why am I getting off on all this? I'm just telling you that I'm excited for what God wants to do. I believe revival is going to happen if we, the church, will get our head into the game where the Lord wants us to be and we'll start loving each other and then that love will spread out to others outside the church and we'll start pouring out our lives into their lives and telling them the truth that Jesus has told us that's coming to pass in the future just as he said. Amen? So, he told them this. Now, Verse 20. Now understand here, the whole point, the whole point that Jesus is saying here is he's letting them know this is what I'm about to suffer for you. The Son of Man is about to suffer and be the sacrifice for sin. As John the Baptist had said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm doing this to serve you because I love you and I'm willing to lay my life down for you. This is the whole purpose, okay? And so, next verse, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine, James and John, may sit one at your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now, this is a Jewish mother. Salome was her name. And, uh, you know, this is just a Jewish mom looking after her boys, right? And, but the whole thing to this point is that Jesus is saying, look, I'm about ready to die. <laughs> and, and, and what's on their minds? Oh, well, we want to be sitting at your left and your right in your kingdom. Now, okay, they are exercising faith here because at least they see that there is a kingdom still after the cross and all of that. And they believe that Jesus is still going to be the Christ and inherit that kingdom. But they're not looking after the glory of God. They're looking after their own glory. They're seeking to exalt themselves. They're seeking to just make sure that they've got their reservation in for the, you know, the good seats. Jesus had already said, you guys are going to get 12 thrones. 
I mean, is that not enough? You know, and you say, well, it was their mother. Well, actually not. Mark tells us um, in Mark 10, 35, that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said, well, what's that? And he said, grant to us that we may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So which is it? Is it mom or is it the boys? Yes. It's both. It's all of the above. See? They probably said, well, you know, it wouldn't look so good, Mom, if we go ask, you know, so why don't you go ask for us? And, uh, and then we'll, you know, that'll look better. Because they know, they know what's going on with the other apostles. Everybody's vying for number one position, you know. So you get Mom to go for them and, you know, ask the big question. Uh, <laughs> Warren Wiersbe said their request was fleshly sensual because they were selfishly asking for glory for themselves not for the Lord I like what Martin Luther said he said the sinful nature always seeks to be glorified before it is crucified oh boy that's the truth isn't it we don't like to die to self. None of us do. We have this, we all have a sinful nature. All of us. You know, David said that I was conceived in sin. You know? I mean, and it never stopped, right? Because we've all inherited this sin nature. And so we seek because we have pride. Pride is at the very core. Now understand, this whole thing of self-promotion, where does that come from? Where does that impetus for self-promotion come from? Well, we know. Isaiah chapter 14 talks about Lucifer falling from heaven. And why? Well, it says, this is what it says. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Here's the problem. We all have that pride. That wants to be self-determinant. That does not want to listen to God. Does not want to... Do it God's way. I will be like God. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Hey, Eve, take this fruit and your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's here and here. We have it. But it's certainly, certainly fed by the world. We have it in our flesh. And the devil is always whispering, right? So, Bishop Joseph Hall said, Pride is the inmost coat which we put off last and which we put on first. <laughs> we all have it. It's a constant enemy. And honestly, I think the best way to deal with it is just to confess that I have it. I know I have pride. We all have pride. So, Lord, help me. To recognize that I am nothing compared to you. And yet, I am a child of God. You have called me your child. 
And whatever it is that you give to me, whatever place you give to me, I can't improve upon that. So Lord, help me to simply be content with what you've given me and praise you for it. Because honestly, what do I deserve? I deserve hell, judgment. (laughs) What have you given me? Eternal life, forgiveness. So this problem, and, and, and Jesus would deal with this in the disciples again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> because it was so much a part of their fiber. And these were the apostles, the A team. There wasn't a B team. This was it. These were the guys that are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. These are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And these are the guys that are just striving. Well, can we be the number left, the number one and number two position, Jesus? (laughs) Oh, my. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed. Now notice who answers. The the mom is coming and saying, oh, would you let my boys be at your right and left? And then he says, well, are you able to drink this cup and be baptized with the same baptism as me? Oh, yeah, we are able. Well, see, obviously they were in on the whole deal, right? Yeah, we'll do it. And he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. It's God the Father that determines these positions, these places. Your calling, your gifts. It's God's deal. The best we can do is say, Lord... Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? I'm yours. And give it all to him. The best choice you can make is to let God make the choice. Amen? So, are you able to drink the cup? Now, the cup that Jesus was referring to here is this cup of suffering. This cup that when he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would say, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, this cup of the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was still submitted to the Lord's will, but Lord, if there's any other way, Father, this cup, he had to drink. And then the baptism, the baptism, that that speaks of, 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 you know, when we baptize, it's it's a thing of, of being buried, the old man being buried. And Jesus would be buried, and he would go to Hades for three days. This baptism, this tasting of death to the dregs, you know, to the the uttermost. Are you able to drink this cup? Are you able to undergo this baptism? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We can do it. Okay, you will. I wonder if their mom was having second thoughts at this point. Now, it's interesting because in Acts chapter 12, we see that Herod Agrippa I began to persecute the church and he beheaded James. James became the first 
martyr uh, of the apostles. Stephen was the first martyr. James was the first apostle to be martyred. Um, and so that happened. John, now John would end up being the only apostle that died of natural causes. He lived to be a very old man, probably into his 90s. But toward the end of the first century, uh, the emperor Domitian uh, arrested John and had him boiled in oil, according to the church fathers. But it didn't affect him. <laughs> you know, God was obviously protecting him, sort of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the fiery furnace, you know. And so he said, okay, well, fine. So then he exiled him to Patmos, the island of Patmos. And it was while he was there that the Lord gave him the book of Revelation as an old man. So, but, you know, so they did. They did suffer uh, for their faith. And um, as the Lord said, well, verse 24. Now, when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased. I.e., they were, are you kidding me? You know, they were ticked off. What are you doing? Now, understand, it, there's a Shakespearean uh, line that says, thou dost protest too loudly. <laughs> uh, because why were they so upset anyway? Because they didn't think of it first. Or because they wanted the places for them, you know, for number one. I can't believe that they would do Well, they can't believe it, but they would have done the same thing if they could. That's the whole problem. That's why they were upset about it. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, Jesus and, okay, another time. All right, time out. It's, it, we're going to have a teaching moment here. So Jesus called them to himself. This is what we call a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> come on, little children. <laughs> you know, we're going to have a little powwow now, a little fireside chat. And uh, <laughs> as a parent, you know that, you know this, right? The siblings are killing each other, you know. And so you said, everybody come into the living room, you know. We're going to have a talk, you know. This is the come to Jesus moment. And so, um, <laughs> so he said, verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Oh, talk about sticking the nail right in the heart. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
You see, Jesus could point to himself. Look, I'm your Lord. I'm your creator. I I could have you cater to my every whim. But I haven't done that. I've come to serve you. I've come to give my life as the ransom. Now, a ransom is the cost to set a person free from the power of somebody else. If you're kidnapped and they demand ransom, you know, you come up with the 100, 200, 300 million dollars, whatever it is, so that you can set them free from the power of that evil kidnapper. Well, guess whose power we were under? The power of Satan by sin. I gave my life to pay the ransom price for many, for the world. So if you want to be great, now Jesus did never, he never put down the desire, okay? Yeah, we have pride, but there's a desire here to be great, to excel, to do the best you can. And there's nothing wrong with that. There isn't anything wrong with that. The, the desire to excel, to be the best you can be, to be all you can be, to use the Marine slogan, you know, there's, that's fine. Not a problem. We should excel so that we can take pride in that which we've done without comparing ourselves to others. That's what Paul said. Not a problem, but Jesus redefined what greatness is in the kingdom. Greatness is being the servant of all, just like our Lord. Not to seek the best for yourself, not to seek the place or the title or the position or to be over others and stick them under your thumb and tell them what to do and all of that. That's what the world does. And that's what he was saying. The Gentiles do that. Those who are in authority, they tell everybody what to do. You know, they they exercise this. They lord it over them. Hey, I'm in charge here. You need to do it my way. That's the world. That's not to be the kingdom, he said. But if you're going to be great, then you need to be a servant. The word servant here is um, the word diakonos, from which we get our English word deacon, and it can also be translated minister. And it it speaks of a servant. It can be a, a servant, a voluntary servant, a servant who would, you know, give themselves out sort of as a contract to serve somebody else. But it speaks more of the voluntary kind of servant. It can also be translated minister. But in our understanding of that word minister, it's sort of lost its meaning. Because we think of the minister as the guy that shows up in the black suit to do the wedding or the funeral. You know, that's the minister. But the word minister means to serve. So that's one thing. And then he said, and if you want to be first, then you need to be, let him be your slave. Well, that word is the Greek word doulos. And what does it mean? Slave. (laughs) 
That means you don't have any rights. That means you belong to another. Now understand, we are to be the servants to one another. The the ideal church is the one where we are all seeking to serve the other person. Sort of like Chip and Dale. Oh, no, 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 you first. No, 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 you first. Oh, no, 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 you You know, we're, we're saying, hey, can I do that for you? Can I serve? I love going to like, like, you know, potlucks or lunches or whatever, and you see somebody pop up, and they're just like collecting people's dishes and, you know, just, just serving, loving to serve one another. Why? Because our Lord loved to serve us. And there's a joy in, in, the, in the serving of one another, of bringing of being other-centered, of, of, of seeking the benefit and the blessings and to make life better for others. There's a joy in that. And that's what it's all about. But then the slave, what's that? Well, that's really, I believe, between us and the Lord. I'm a bond slave. He bought me. I've been bought with a price. And yet, I'm the bond slave, which was the one in Exodus where it talked about if, if you'd been a, a slave for six years, as a Hebrew slave, you could go free in the seventh. But you could say, wait a minute, I've got a good deal here. My master's great. I want to stay here. And you could say, I'm going to be a, a slave for life, a bond servant. And they take your ear and they take an owl, put it to the doorpost. And, you know, now you're marked as a, a slave, a voluntary slave for life. That's the image in our relationship with the Lord. I am his slave, but I'm, I'm a joyful, willing slave. Amen? And when you, when you approach life like that, listen, there is no greater boss ever than Jesus. And you say, okay, Lord, I'm your servant. What would you have me do? And it really is, you know, it's like if you're an employer... And you say, okay, employees, this is what you need to do. And they say, well, I don't really want to do it. It's like, well, I don't care. You're getting the paycheck. You belong to me. (laughs) You're going to do this, right? I mean, you feel that way. I feel that way as an employer. It's like you're getting paid to do the job that you're told to do, right? That's indicative of that relationship. And the same thing is true with us. If I understand that, wait a minute, I am the bond servant of Jesus Christ, it's not up for me to decide what it is he wants me to do. It's for me to just say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm willing. You're my Lord. That's why to say, no, Lord, is an oxymoron. <laughs> like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> you can't say... No, Lord, it doesn't make sense, it doesn't jive. If he's your Lord, and he said that, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? So, but far from being a miserable life, this is where the joy is at. And Jesus said, this is the kingdom. It's people that are bondservants to me, to the Lord, and they're serving one another. They're the servant of all. And if you're going to be in leadership here, that's what it looks like. And so for me, that means I got to fight to get to the bottom. 
because it's just the natural tendency as, as God uses you, as he gifts you, as he gives you opportunities, there are people that are just always going to want to lift you up because that's what people do. And, and so you're going to have to find, you, you could start believing the press. If God starts using you and people say, oh my, you're such a blessing, you're wonderful. You know, it's just like, yeah, I, yeah, I am kind of that way, aren't I? It's like they say flattery is like perfume. It's good to smell, but it's really bad to drink. (laughs) You can't drink it. So we got to fight to get to the bottom. Because why? Because we have a pride. We got pride. All of us do. So how can I fight to get to the bottom? See, that's, that's. What Jesus was trying to get across to them again and again and again. And, you know, of course, in John's gospel, at the the Last Supper, they're still going at it. And so what does he do? He gets a towel. He gets a basin. He starts washing their feet, which is the job nobody wanted. It was the worst job of the house because of their stinky, you know, dusty feet. And nobody wanted that job. And here's Jesus. I'll do it. Nobody else would do it. They were all too proud. But Jesus gets down and starts washing their feet. Oh, that we could be like that. Amen. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road. Oh, wow, I just remembered this song. Blind man sat by the road and he cried. Blind man sat by the road and he cried. This is it, okay? (laughs) It's my birthday, okay? I'm flashing back. (laughs) Okay, so, so now Jesus is coming from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a 15 mile journey, it goes up. 3,400 feet in elevation. And this is like this notorious road, right? Where bandits would get you. And this, you know, when Jesus wanted to find a setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan, this was it. It was this, this road. So he's, he's going on it for the last time. He's leaving the city. And uh, as he does, these two blind men that are sitting by the road begging. We know from Mark's gospel, one of them is Bartimaeus. We don't know the name of the other. And they cried out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me. You know, they heard, you know, it's Jesus. He's coming by. Have mercy on me, son of David. You know, and, and they're just going at it. <laughs> I, I think it's funny. <laughs> and everybody around. Now, have you ever been like, you know, was, you know, you can't pick your family, right? It's just, you're just stuck with them. And, if it, you know, and it's like this, you know, it's like when you're dropping your kids off at school and they're teenagers, you know, and you're goodbye, have a great day, you know, and, and then they're just like, oh, gosh, please, please shut up, mom. You know, it's like, I, I kind of feel like this is what was going on. These guys are just like, oh, son of David, have mercy, you know, and, and, and they're just like, shh, quiet. You're giving us a bad rap, you know? Hush. And, and so they, but they cried out all the more. Have 
have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now maybe what it was is because this, this title, son of David, was a messianic title. They're saying, Jesus the Christ, have mercy on us. And these guys already know the, you know, the, the Pharisees are ready to pounce on anybody that would say that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the son of David. So it's just quiet. Shut up, you know. And they just cry all the louder. Why? Because this is their moment. They're never going to have this opportunity again. Here comes Jesus. They're blind. They want to see. This is the guy that causes people that are blind to see. And they're not going to get this chance again. So then, I'm not going to listen to you. Jesus! You know. They wanted to seize the moment. Can you blame them for that? I think a lot of people, I think a lot of times we are way, way too numb to the opportunity Jesus is giving us today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. How do you know you won't go out from here and just get killed by some truck? I mean... Or have a coronary before you even get out these doors. We don't know that. That's why we have to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives to us. And hop on them. I think, I think, I, I, have, I have a fear. My fear is that I'm going to get to heaven and, I, and I'm going to see all of the things I could have done if I just took the risk and stepped out in faith. I think we will be shocked to see how many things God would have done for us if we just seized the moment, right? So these guys did it. They seized the moment. And Jesus stopped, and he called them, and he said, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. Again, he's demonstrating what he always did. He's the servant of all. And immediately their eyes received sight. And what did they do with that sight? I love this. They followed him. Imagine, imagine you've been blind. We don't know if they were born blind. doesn't tell us. But you've been blind. And the first thing you see is the face of Jesus. No wonder they followed him. No wonder they followed him. And um, I see some application. Because we were all once blind. We were blind in our sins. Sin blinds. You know, when you're in sin, you don't see the damage you're doing. You don't, you don't feel the hurt you're bringing. Because it's all about you. You don't even see it. And we would have all been blind. We all were blind at one point until Jesus 
revealed himself to us. You know, we sing it in Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, miserable wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. There was that moment when the Lord gave us spiritual eyesight and we could see I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of God's law, of his goodness, of his righteousness. I need a savior. I can't get to heaven without a savior, you know? And that moment, that aha moment, when the Lord opened our eyes, he opened the eyes of our understanding to see that he came because of his love to save us if we'll trust in him. And what a wonderful day that is. Do you remember when that first happened in your life? Do you remember the experience of being born again? Born of the Spirit? Do you remember the freedom of the shackles of sin and death and hatred and all of the crud, the fear, the, the agonizing guilt? Do you remember the day that all of that left and you were free? You were free. That's being born again. And your eyes were opened. It was like, it was a whole new reality. Folks, I know things change. Our, our, our love matures. I think about, you know, the first time that I, you know, I told Cindy, I love you, you know. It's like the first time, you know, and we're falling in love and there, there's all of the emotions involved and, and you know, and you, you're all nervous and, it, you know, you, you sit down, you eat together and you're all got, you know, kind of butterflies and you don't know, you know, you're watching because you don't want to get the spaghetti all over your clothes, you know, and, and you know, everything's like, now if, if after 37 years of marriage, she still had butterflies every time we ate spaghetti, something is definitely wrong here. <laughs> we get that. But I never want to lose the fact that she's my bride, that I love her, that she still rocks my world, right? And it should never be any different in our love for the Lord. And I think sometimes that's what we need. We as the church, we need to be born again, again. We need to come to our first love. Our eyes need to be open. We need to experience that first love again. And, um, and we can, because here's the thing. We, we, we go through this this world, we, we traffic in the things of this world. And we, we, we sort of collect sin like barnacles on the bottom of a ship. And we don't even realize that it's happening. But it starts slowing us down. Bit by bit by bit. You know, that's what will happen on a ship. That's why they got to dry dock it and remove all the barnacles, right? And we need that because sin blinds us. Look, even after we're believers in Christ, we still have blind spots. 
David knew that. That's why David in Psalm 139 said, Lord, search my heart. Try me, see, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any evil way in me. Lead me in the, in the way everlasting. And you know what? We even need that from each other. That's why fellowship is so important, folks. I, my, my observation has been that people who are not in fellowship, who call themselves Christians, they get weird, okay? <laughs> they just do. Now, I get COVID, and there's people that are hunkering down, and all. I get that, and, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking to you, okay? I understand uh, I am just praying that you guys can come back <laughs> and get over this junk, right? Amen? Because fellowship is so important. And part of the reason it's so important is that we're told in Hebrews that we are to exhort one another daily while it is called today so that none of us are hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That means that not only do I need God, not only do I need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he's like, hey, you know, check this area out. But I need, I need the input of you. We need the, the input of each other. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why? Because we all have blind spots. And we can do that service to each other in love. But real friends will do that. My wife tells me when there's something out of place. <laughs> something on my face that does not belong there. <laughs> and I appreciate that. So, let us beware that we don't ever become insensitive either to what God is seeking to show us through his word. That's why we need his word. That's why we spend time in his word. It's the mirror, right? It's the mirror to show us what we really look like. But Matthew Henry, famous commentator, said, there's none so deaf as those who will not hear, none so blind as those who will not see. Folks, I think this is the greatest opportunity we've had in the days that I've been in ministry to just seek the Lord and get into his word and get into fellowship and be strengthened in the inner man by his spirit and by his word so that we can be those people that he sends out that serve the lost as he came to serve us. That love on them. As Paul said, that I become all things to all people so that through all means I may save some. And when you've had that, that sort of spiritual catharsis where the Lord has just removed the crud in your life and he's given you new vision and he's renewed your love for Jesus and, and you feel born again, guess what? You have a heart for people, you're like the Grinch whose heart got three sizes bigger, right? Because you care. Because God has taken away the pride and the selfishness and, and all the stuff that we think about, about. You want to get really, hey, how many of you want to be really miserable this week? 
I'm going to give you the formula to be miserable this week. Amen? Do nothing but think about yourself. 24-7, just think about your aches and pains. Think about, meditate on everybody that ever did you wrong. You know, and just see how wonderfully miserable you feel at the end of the week. But you want to be joyful? Think about Jesus. Think about his word. Think about all that he's forgiven you of. Think about his mercies in your life, his patience. Fill your heart up with his heart and then go out and say, Lord, just use me. Use me to touch somebody with your love. They can see that I love them not because of what they did or didn't do, but just because they're made in your image and you love them and your love is flowing through me to that person. And I believe that, folks, if we will do this, I believe we are going to see the most rocking revival of all time. I believe it. Because the Lord wants to gather a bride before he comes. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. And we do just thank you for the love that you have for us, God. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for serving us. Thank you that you saw us when we least deserved it, Lord, when we were throwing your laws behind our back and doing our own thing to gratify our own pleasures, Lord. That's when you saw us and you had mercy on us and you chose to go the distance to the cross on our behalf. Jesus, we can't ever thank you too much. But I do pray, Lord, that if there's any here today, Lord, that have not yet received you as Savior and as Lord, not yet confessed that they're a sinner and asked you to come and forgive them and write their names in your book of life and give to them the gift of eternal life. Lord, I pray today that they would say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. I want to see. Lord, I pray, honor that prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.